Luke chapter 13, verse 1, it says, There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans who were, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So as Jesus is there sharing, the news comes. They don't really ask him a question, but they bring him news that this event happened. And we don't, um, we kind of look at some of the historians, and there isn't one certain event where this happened. But what it's talking about is some Galileans from the region of Galilee went up to the temple, and there's the different gates uh, and levels you could go into. There was the, the gate of the Gentiles. You could get so close into the temple, and you had to stop there as a Gentile. Then you had the court of women, and you could only go in so far. And this is all the way up just outside the temple, and what would be the temple gates, the last before door before the temple, they were there, which you had to be a circumcised Jew to be in there to begin with, which Pilate didn't care when he came into power. He had no concern about those things, and so he would have defiled it. And so these Galileans were there, ready to give their sacrifice, it appears, and they would have laid their hand on the sacrifice that was being sacrificed for them on their head, symbolizing tra their transgressions and sin, going on to that goat that was going to be sacrificed or a lamb, and they would offer it to God. Well, when that was happening, Pilate came in and slaughtered these men. And so their blood was mingled. And so this is this is stirred up some things. This is a tragedy of the nation. This would have been an attack that, you know, the, the Jewish people, this would have been heavy on them that, that it happened and why did it happen and these things. And this was something... Um, when, when Pilate came in and was kind of the procurator, if you would, of the region, um, it took a while to calm down. There was some violent things going on before. It took like, I think, six or seven high priests to get uh, the one they had at the moment in there. And Pilate, his first day when he got to Rome, came in with a Roman legion, with all the Roman symbolism and all that, and walk up onto the steps of the temple, which just threw the whole city in rage. And when they responded, he started slaughtering people. So before we let you, we stayed out of your temple, we stayed out of your area, this guy rides in, boom, goes right up to the steps. He starts a fight, and anybody wanting to scream back, I'm going to cut their head off, be done with it. And so this is Pilate. This was common of Pilate. And, and when you look at... Um, these things, even Pilate, even at the end, there was a, there was a point where there was um, some money they, he, that he took out of the, the temple treasury to pay for some water projects and stuff and pipelines that they disagreed with. And so there became this outrage. And when the protesters are out there, he sent his Roman centurions dressed as Jewish Hebrews into the crowd. And when the crowd started to get loud and violate, they pulled out their swords and started killing people around them. And when that happened, Rome actually recalled Pilate to Rome because of his brutality. They, they thought he was even, even at that time too, being too brutal for him. So this is Pilate. And so when you see Pilate with Jesus not wanting to crucify him, that's a rare thing, by the way. That wasn't this guy's character. This guy's character was, I'm going to cut everybody's head off and care less. So, man, there must have really been something about Jesus when Pilate didn't want to crucify him, right? And so, it's kind of interesting. So they bring this question to Jesus, and here Jesus answers them. But they didn't ask a question, right? But Jesus answers something. And he says, Jesus, verse 2 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered such things? So he's question, they, they brought this question to him. He knows what they're thinking, right? 
And, and sometimes I think you guys can do that with the, your kids. It's not like the Holy Spirit or something. You know your kid. So when are we going home? Or what are we having for lunch? They're asking to stop at McDonald's or whatever, you know. You can read into it. But they ask him this. He knows their heart intent behind it. Many times as the disciples were arguing, you know, he's answering their argument. They're having that he wasn't hearing. And so here Jesus answers these men, this crowd, and he says, do you, do, you, do you assume because this horrible thing happened, these guys had to have been greater sinners? And what happens, this was kind of a common thought, right? When a tragedy happened or something wicked befell somebody, an illness or something, they viewed it as judgment from God, right? That that sin or thing could be straight out judgment from God. And when you look at it and you kind of look at the Old Testament, you look at the Jewish culture, this is not uncommon in this sense. Many times, God had used wicked men to, uh, allowed wicked men to, to triumph over the nation of Israel for judgment. Babylon, right? They, they did not rest on the Sabbath day. They were not doing what they're supposed to. God allowed Babylon to come in and take him out for the period of time he was owed. You know, and so you have this thought, even one of the, what's thought to be the oldest book in the Bible, Job, right? Job's friends came to him and going, you're going through all this stuff. Why? Because you must have a secret sin we don't know about that God's judging. Maybe you don't even know about it God's judging it, which, which isn't, wasn't the case, but was the thought process, right? And, and we can kind of have this thought, right? We, we call it something different. We'll call it karma, right? Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. If something happens to you, it's there, you know, after Katrina, you know, well, New Orleans, you know, it was a city of sin and this and that. You know, the second something happens, and if an earthquake or sandstorm takes off Vegas, we're going to say, well, you know, it was a city of sin, it's God's judgment. You'll, you'll hear it right away if something happens, right? And this is these guys' thoughts. And here Jesus responds, and he brings it back down to the more importantness. You're here, you're thinking about what did these guys do wrong? They must have been a greater sinner. They're, they're trying to find out the why of these things. And Jesus, in verse 3, says, I tell you, you know, but unless you repent, you will be like, you will all likewise perish. So it just turns around and goes, okay, you're worried about what happened and these people that are gone and all this and you're passing this judgment. Let's just bring it back around to you. No, you, unless you repent, you will perish like them. And so he brings it around and, and, and this was an act of Pilate, an act of, of man, right? But, and Jesus turns around and goes, okay, let's even look at this. You're Jewish people. They're saying Galileans. They're not saying us, right? So most likely people from Judea. And he says, he turns it around here in verse 4. He says, are those 18 who, on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? So here's another incident. Here's another national tragedy, right? Another national tragedy incident that happened. You have the wall of Jerusalem. One of the towers falls over and kills Judeans, okay? Did it fall over because of poor construction, earthquake? It could have been an act of God. We're not 100% sure. But here you have one that's clearly an act of man. Here you have another one where you could say, you know, an act, if somebody shoots somebody, you go, well, that was that evil guy, right? But if, if you get struck by lightning... We might be questioning, you know, well, God took him out. I mean, obviously, you know, how often that happened? You know, you kind of look at that, and that was, I guess, the thought here. Here, this tower falls down, right? And so if this tower fell down and took care of these guys, and these were Jewish guys, were these more wicked? And so he even brings it back to, okay, okay, here's another tragedy, right? Could you imagine if the media came to a politician today? 
and said, you know, you, you got the politician sitting there and this huge, you know, hurricane happens or this major things happen and these people die and they come to them and they're like, oh, why did, you know, this happen? And, and the guy isn't, you know, you know, we're going to do our best to help. I'm sorry. And, you know, and, you know, we'll grieve together. He turns around and goes, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will perish too. You're right. Jesus ain't a good politician here. It's like kind of shocking, right? You're this, oh, this horrible thing happens. But it, he, he brings it back to where are you at? These tragedies aren't based on their sin. I'm not, it, well, these things didn't happen because these men were sinful. They happened that these things happen, the sin happens, death happens, and unless you repent, these things likewise will happen to you. You'll perish. Jesus is talking more about the eternal than the body here. You know, it, it's interesting here, um, when you think of it, all of these things happened actually because of sin. Death is because sin entered the world, right? Why is there disease, disease, sickness, illness, and all this? It's all because of sin, the fall of man. And if you do not have the cure for that, you're going to perish eternally. And, and he goes, if you don't repent, you're going to perish as well. And if, it, if, it, you know, if it's not a tower, it can be something else. The, the eternal aspect of where we're at in sin, if we're not repentive, if we don't turn to God, it, it's going to be sin. It's going to have the rule. So in the sense that, yes, these things happen because of sin, but more the sin of all man, more than just one man's sin or one person's thing. And not to say there isn't, um, if you would, a fruit of sin, right? There's sin. If I go and do something, there's going to be a consequence. If I, I, you know, if there's consequences of my sin, you know, if I go and do a heinous crime, there's going to, I can't sit there and go, oh, this, this, I can't believe this consequence of prison. And no, there's going to be judgment. There's the reaping of sin in our lives in that sense. But many times there are diseases and there are uh, just because of the fall of man, things that fall upon people and it's nothing to do with their righteousness, their standing before God or any of that. And ultimately, God has allowed those things. He has a good purpose in those things, even though they're hard to, you know, comprehend. You look at, uh, I was talking with uh, just Pastor Bob yesterday up in Calvary Chapel, Orville, where he lost his house in paradise and the situation there. And, and just realizing that, you know, he might not be able to even get back on the property for years and years. Not months, not, day, you know, years to rebuild, but now you may be not even five years being able to even get up there and really do anything and rebuild and the reality of those things and how overwhelming it is. And there's, there wasn't God's judgment on the city of paradise. You know, there's sin, there's destruction, and those things are coming. You know, and you, you look at it, we're, we're Romans 1 talks about we're all under God's wrath. The whole mankind's under God's wrath. But what Jesus came, right, that we might have life, that we would not perish. He's came to save the lost. And so we see these disasters, and so these men come up to him bringing this with this thought. And, and I don't think we really have this thought as much these days. When somebody tragic happens to him, we don't go, well, he must have sinned. I don't, I don't, generally, I don't, there's not, a, I don't know, there's probably some, but generally as a culture, I don't think we put judgment off. If anything, when something, even when somebody does something evil and wrong, we don't even blame them for it. You know, it was because their great-great-grandfather did this once and, you know, they're raised wrong. Or, you know, we, we even passed what we would say God's judgment should be on a sinful people off to other things, right? We make excuses for them. You know, it's kind of interesting in that sense with the culture and that, and we'll, we'll transfer it. But, you know, 
It's real simple here, and, and, and if Jesus is just real simple. He goes, you see these things, you think these things should warn you of what? That we're all headed to death. We're all going to perish. The time is coming. What you should consider is where you're at. Like it was talking in the previous chapter, hey, if you're going before a judge and you're going with somebody who's accusing you, you're better off selling, settling that before you get to the judge. You're better off repenting and having that settled and your eternity settled before you die. Before something happens, before a tragedy happens, you know, and um, you know, the, the, back in the back away as I, you know, talking to different people back back in the day, they used to they used to have a bumper sticker with this on it, quoting these verses. They're the two identical verses that used to say, "Repent or die," you know. <laughs> so nowadays, I don't know how that would go over, but really, it's you repent because you're you're going to die, you're going to perish. You need to consider yourself. You need to consider where you're at. And we can get so focused on what other else or what if this or, you know, that. It's funny when you share, sometimes start talking to people and go, well, what about the Aztecs? What does that have to do with you and standing before God right now? You're really concerned about some culture that we have. You don't even, do you know anybody? Do you know any great grandpa? You don't even know. Okay, well, why are you worried about them? Let's talk about you and repenting and you need a savior. And biblical repentance is different. I think our culture, it's, it's kind of, people get it confused. There's a difference between biblical repentance and being changing your mind because of bad fruit. If I go out and I'm doing something wrong, if I'm out cheating on my wife and she divorces me so I decide I'm going to repent, Am I repenting to Christ? Is that biblical repentance or is that I just decided I didn't like the fruit of that choice? You know what I mean? It's a fruit. Well, you know, I keep getting DUIs, so I'm going to repent of drinking. Why? Because I like driving a car. No, it's nothing to do with God, right? And very much the gospel in many churches today is this gospel that gives you, you know, Jesus gives you peace and power and a, and a purpose in life. That's not the gospel. That's just not it. Jesus came not to give us peace, power, and purpose. No, he calls us to repent. To revile sin. To know the weight of sin and say, you know what? This, this, the weight of sin, and, and, and I'm wrong against God. I'm, I'm in the wrong with my Savior. That I have wronged the creator of the universe. This is not what I was created for. I'm not re just remorseful. He didn't come to save me from my sorrows. He came to save me from sin. I must repent of it. Be willing to give it over. Repent, believe, commit your heart into Jesus Christ, and obey. There should be a change. And many times, you know, it's interesting when we're in a culture where nobody does anything wrong and you can't say somebody did something wrong because that's offensive, to sit there and say, hey, repent. Repent, I didn't do anything wrong. This is just the way I was made. No, it wasn't. The made we, were, we were made sinless. We are fallen. We have corrupt programming. It doesn't work. You have to be remade new again. And so the Bible, biblical repentance, is, is knowing that weight of our sin, knowing who our sin was against, and trusting in God for his forgiveness from that, and walking away from it. 
And, I, and I, I truly believe when we sit down and look at things, even just looking at my life being challenged this week and going, how many times have I really repented from something? Or I just didn't like the consequences that were going to come or possibly could come, so I stopped doing it. Or was I really remorseful? Was I at the point of realizing, hey, man, what it cost on the cross? When we take communion, you realize the price that was paid for us, the, the value of that, not taking it lightly. And the next warning here is about unfruitfulness. Look with me at verse 6 here. As Jesus continues, he says, in verse 6, it says, Also, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted, he planted it, in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. He said to the vine keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on the fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up my ground? But he answered and said to him, the vine dresser, Sir, let it alone for this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if it does not, after that you can cut it down. So, real simple illustration here God's giving. He goes, hey, I, you plant... But you plant a tree, you're a farmer, you're, you have a vineyard, you plant a tree, a fig tree, you expect it to produce figs. And after years and three years and waiting and there's no figs, okay, time to cut it down, it's taking up space, it, it's useless. Be done with it. You know, and the vine dresser goes, give it another year, just be patient another year, we'll put some fertilizer around it. I don't know how many of you guys, you know, have a fruit tree, but if it's not producing fruit, you might try this, dig around it and add some fertilizers, loosen up the ground around it. You know, and, um, and, you know, and he goes, okay, well, if that happens, we'll keep it. And if it doesn't, we'll just cut it down, you know, give it another year and we'll see. It's interesting. I, I love uh, what Joe Fuso on this said. He goes, you know, so many people look at God like the Godfather instead of the Father God, right? Godfather, he's done with you, just whacks, poof, takes you out, that's it, you know. And, and, and you think about that, he's like, really, do we really view the God that way? Your insurance policy does. Right? Your homeowner insurance warranties against acts of God. Okay, I'm a roofer. Okay, if you don't maintain your roof, your insurance ain't taking care of it. But if a tree hits your house, a demon-possessed squirrel goes through your roof, your insurance generally, if you have a good policy, will take care of demon-possessed squirrels or raccoons. A wind blows it off. Those are all acts of God, right? But they, they don't cover things that aren't acts of God. You know, we have to insure against acts of God, by the way, just so you guys know. You know, you ever think, oh, it's an act of God. The baby was born. It's an act of God, you know. Um, tell your insurance company that one. you got to cover the hospital bill because that was an act of God. The child's born. You look at these things, you know. But it's interesting. God is so long-suffering. And many times when we look at parables, we look at scriptures, you want to compare to other scriptures. And, and the parable of a fig tree and a vineyard always talking about the nation of Israel. And Jesus is saying, hey, he's come and he's come back and he's come. And for all this time, there's no fruit. It's bearing no fruit. The, 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 this religious group was supposed to represent God to the world. There is no fruit of it. There's nothing good. Okay, give it a little while longer. We're going to fertilize it. We're going to be long-suffering. We're going to see if anything springs up from it. You know, we'll wait to cut it down then. And, and we even have the example, you remember, it's interesting to see later on when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's there, right? And it says he sees a fig tree there. And he said, when he's headed up and it has no fruit on it. When he comes back again, here it's the season for this fig tree, 
right? He, so he, he sees it, it's season for the fig tree, and he curses it. He goes, why don't you have any fruit? Curses it. When they come back, the disciples see that it's withered and died. Talking about the nation of Israel. Hell, you're supposed to have fruit. We're here, the Messiah is here. You've been prophesied. You're missing it. You miss Jesus. There's no fruit in it. The warning against fruitfulness, or the lack of fruitfulness. You know, um, if you plant a tree, you expect fruit. God expects fruit in our life. Not that it's going to save you, not that any amount of work or anything you do in that sense is going to earn salvation. But when he comes in, he starts working in your life, he expects there's going to be change. There's going to be fruit. As you grow in the word of God, guess what? You grow more and more mature in time. There's fruit that grows. It happens naturally. You know, the fruit of the Holy Spirit and those things, as you abide in his word, as you start to pray for people, you're seeking God's will, it happens. You never see a fruit tree, right, sitting there, stressing out. I got a piece of fruit. doesn't happen that way. You just, it abides. It's in good soil. It's in the word of God, and it grows. It happens naturally and in a pattern. And we'll see an unnatural pattern a little later here, but you see it and, it, and the fruit, it grows. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily fun. You know, sometimes in your life, it feels like the soil's a little loosened around you and there's manure around you. What is God doing? Right? Like, wow, this stinks, Lord. He goes, yeah, I know, I'm fertilizing you. I'm wanting some fruit to happen. I want to see some growth. And many times in our lives, we, we can kind of fight against it, you know, letting God do those things, being so worried about everything else, you know. If you come in and you see a tree and it's, you know, I, I have trees. I have some fruit trees we bought, and, you know, we got these ones that are really cool grafted so they don't take up too much space where you get a couple of fruit on them, you know. And, you know, going out there and seeing them lush and green and big isn't what I'm looking for. I love it when these poor little trees, which I got to prune back, they've got so much fruit, they're breaking, they don't have to be big, but I love it when they got, you know, the branches are sagging down and I'm like, okay, I got to prop them up or something. I prefer that. That's why I planted the tree. That's what God desires in our lives. And the cool thing is, all we got to do is be plugged into the source. All we got to do is be in his word, going through his word, reading through the whole gospel, getting the whole counsel of God's word and growing in those things, you know, and surrendering, trusting him, letting him work in your life, sometimes putting some stinky stuff around you. And so he has this warning, not even just to the nation of Israel who was missing him, who did not have Jesus, but also to us. God desires fruit in our lives. And you go through the whole, whole um, parable of the vine dresser and, and how he prunes and he works the vine to produce fruit. And that's what he does in our lives. The next warning is kind of a warning... Um, it, it, he calls them hypocrites in verse 10 here, but also kind of a warning of, of uh, you could say, Christians without Christ or, or church without Jesus. Here you have these Jewish people. Right after this warning, I love this example he gives or what happens next after the, he gives this parable. And it says, verse 10 says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So there was a Sabbath, the synagogue that still allow men at this point, which is kind of amazing. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and has bent her over and could in no way rise herself up. So she's got an infirmity where she's, she's bent over. She is physically looking at the ground, disfigured in that sense, for 18 years. 
And in that culture, when you figured judgment of God was sin and sickness, and you hear you have an illness that is so present, and it says there's a spiritual aspect to this, you know, and, and there's all kinds of doctrine of was this demon possession not. I, I kind of was looking at, I like Spurgeon on this. It, his argument was, we'll, we'll see here that Jesus doesn't touch the woman, right? Or he touches this woman. Every demon-possessed person, he says, Jesus doesn't touch. And that's why Spurgeon feels this person wasn't demon-possessed, but oppressed by a, by a spirit, you know, that was helping with this infirmity to whatever extent. So there's definitely both aspects of it, not to say every illness has a spiritual aspect or every, you know, one way or another. But this one says there was a spiritual aspect, and here she's been over. Verse 12 says, But when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So here she's in a situation where she's bent over and all that, and she cannot worship God. And now she's, she's glorifying God. She's in totally the opposite position. Made well, loosed. You know, for 18 years being bent over. And, you know, that's hard. I mean, and, and you get, I personally know what this is like. I personally know what this is like. You know, I am, when, when you're disfigured to that point, people look at you funny. I, I was on a roof. I got knocked off. I landed on my tailbone, and I stuck a splinter of bone into my, my uh, disc and into my spine, spinal cord, and they couldn't find it on ultrasound. So within, I don't know, six months working roofing, I ended up twisted out like Quasimodo, 13-centimeter bulging disc, tons of leg pain, but I could not stand up physically, could not stand up straight. I couldn't balance enough. Had to begin something. So, and it, it progressively got worse. And so I went from barely make it work to, to riding in the owner's, um, what do you have, a town and country van that we're borrowing. We pulled the back seats out of so I could slide into the back, get driven to work. And then I was having guys drive me around. I was checking jobs out of it with binoculars. And then at a point I could not get up off the ground so I kind of made like this big rolling pad with wheels on it and I literally flipped my office desk upside down and was still working because um, of evil men at with the workers comp company that just said I didn't work for them when it happened um, anyways God's grace no so I mean I was really bad out but I didn't care man anything I could do to be moving I mean I, I'm like my son you hold me still I will blow up so I wasn't stopping. I ended up in the emergency room because when I was on this rolling pad, I had this old Chevy pickup uh, or Suburban and it had rust in the bottom quarter panels. It never bothered me before until you're staring at it. So I was welding and I got the helmet up and I got slag in my eye. So I'm in the emergency room. They're looking at me like, you're back. What did you do? You fall? You're okay? No, I got some stuff in my eye. I need to pull out because it's really hurting. Yeah, just stuff like that. But anyways, but I know people... My neighbors, I mean, I, we had neighbors we knew then that we ran into us later. They go, man, we didn't know what was up with you if you're born that way. I, you know, the kids said, yeah, people would stare at you. I was out front. My kids would be on their little bikes, and I'd be rolling along on this thing, pushing with my hands. Anything just to, yeah, the pain was bad. I don't know. Like I said, you're not stopping me easy, I guess. But, you know, people look at you different. They look at you strange. People saw me out. They couldn't believe You're that guy that was, oh, that was you. Yeah, that was me, all twisted out like Quasimodo. God's grace. Praise God for skilled surgeons that get in there and pull all that stuff out of there. But um, So you look at this, and th this woman, that would have been 
There, you would have looked at her funny. You would have been concerned. They didn't understand disease. Am I going to get what she has if she touches me? I mean, can you imagine what your little kid, oh, look at her, put her hands in and take them away. You know what I mean? It would have been a social outcast, a really sad thing. And here she is at the church, at the, church, at the synagogue, where God's supposed to be represented. And in verse 14, after this great thing happens, amazing. But the ruler of the synagogue answered, with indignation because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, not to Jesus, says to the crowd, there are six days on which a man ought to work. Therefore come and be healed and heal them, not on the Sabbath day. Come, come get healed another day, not on Sabbath. This is, this is God's day. This is for the Lord. It's kind of interesting, this, this thought that, again, the Sabbath is for who? For God? No, it was for us, to give us rest. The laws of the Old Testament were to bless us. This guy's got it backwards. No, you can get healing and everything. If you need something from God, come on a work day. But today is for God. They got it. The whole Jewish, Jewish tradition, they got this thing all backwards. Right? No, today is the Lord's day. No, God is for us. God came in the world, died on the cross. Why? For us. It's for us. And he, this guy's got it all backwards. Oh, you can come any other day. That's for you. But today is for God. No. Verse 15, And then the Lord answered and said to him, Hypocrite, does each one of you on the Sabbath loose an ox or a donkey from the stall and lead him away to water it? Hey, you got animals that are tied up in the stall. They're, they're there. They need to get watered. They're thirsty. You're not going to let your ox sit there and die of dehydration or suffer for a day, you're gonna, that, that would be cruel, even on the Sabbath. Even though you don't consider that work, you allow that to happen. You know, and they had all kinds of crazy rules on the Sabbath. You know, you couldn't tie a knot to get water out of a thing. You know, there's a thing where, you know, a woman could tie her girdle. So what you could do, though, because you couldn't draw water out of a well by tying a rope to it because that was work, but you could tie a girdle to the bucket and your girdle to the rope, and then you could still get water out of the well because you're allowed to, a woman could tie her girdle. She wasn't allowed to look in a mirror because she might do work by, like, plucking a hair out. I mean, there's still all these, and to this day, go to Israel. They have a Sabbat elevator in Israel. On the Sabbath, it is work to push a button on an elevator. You're causing work. So they have what they call a Sabbat elevator. Don't get on one. Because all it does is stop at every floor, all the way up and all the way down. Had friends that went there, and they said they were there, and they're in the basement, and there's some young Jewish girls there waiting for the elevator. Well, it doesn't stop at the basement floor level. So they decided, okay, what's the worst evil? They pushed the button with their nose. You know, because at least it wasn't work. They weren't, I mean, to this day. And so you have this guy. He's all appalled because you're breaking our Jewish tradition. You cannot find anything about what, this was in the Old Testament as far as Jesus breaking even a law. This was their tradition. They added one law upon one law upon another law upon another law. They had so many rules that they have taken God's law and made it something else, made it a burden upon the people. And Jesus just simply calls it out and goes, man, when you have an animal, and if that animal's suffering and he needs water, needs a drink, you're, you're going to take and do it. Verse 16, so ought not this woman, being the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, Think it of, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bound on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced 
for the glorious things that were done by him. So this thing happens. They're all excited. And the ruler of synagogue steps. Oh, wait, 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 wait. It's the Sabbath. We can't. This is wrong. This is wrong. You guys are getting out of hand in here. You can't do that. This, is, this doesn't fit our laws. This isn't it. I mean, we have our system. This guy's breaking it. And Jesus, I just simply calls him. He goes, man, you would have done this for the, an animal. This is a woman. One more day would have been too much for her. One more day. And he loses her. And it's real easy to sit here and go, man, I, I can't believe that. I can't believe anybody would ever do that. How, how could you be that guy? But yet we can be that guy. And I pray we don't become just against the things of God. Indignant towards him and those things. You know, for what, the God, for what God's doing in the church, so many times there, there are times and things that change where you can get there and you can become and you start to see Christians that are Christians without Christ. I'm a Christian, I do all these things, but I don't know where God is and what he's doing. I have no clue how the Holy Spirit's leading. I have my traditions, I have my thing, I go to church and this and this, and Sunday morning here is, any, is anywhere else can become a Christian. I show up Sunday, I sit here, I feel bad, and I say, yeah, I should read my Bible, I should do these things, and then I just pass it off and I'm gone. Somebody asks me what's for lunch, and I'll wait until next Sunday to get back and feel bad. Instead of God working in your life and there being a real relationship and him speaking to you each and every day and being that intimate relationship with the Lord. And so many, sadly, there are probably many churches this way where they're, they're there, they've got their tradition, they've got their way of doing things, and there is no God in them. It's interesting, when, when Calvaries were found, there were many things that were happening in the church that people found appalling, that even Pastor Chuck had to deal with with some of the hippies and his thoughts. His thoughts for years were these dirty hippies need to get a haircut and a job. But his wife was going down to the beach for several years looking at these poor lost kids on drugs and everything else and praying for them. So Chuck started going with her, sitting in the car, looking at these hippies, praying for them. Then they started talking to them. And a couple got saved, and then they started moving to their garage, and God does this huge thing out of them. Oh no, they're playing guitars. Can you believe that they're playing guitars and drums? I mean, is that okay? What about an electric guitar during worship? Man, that's so high tech. I don't know if God's good with that. Do you realize like 2,000 years ago or whenever piano was created, that's about the most high tech thing ever? So if you're sitting there playing on an organ, you're, you know what I mean? Just a thought. You know, so if you guys in here, Phil, and you don't like techno worship, no. <laughs> yeah, anyways. So that's computer generated. It can't be spirit filled. No. Anyways, but you look at these things, right? And what was there? What was there? And what Chuck will even tell you would have told you in the books and look at the stuff. He, man, I just saw the Holy Spirit moving. I didn't start a movement. I just wanted to be on board with what the Lord was doing. He was current. He had Jesus. He wanted to be a part of what was going on and what Jesus was doing in his church, not in four walls of a building. Not in some kind of program or, or, or list of program a man put together on how to do it. You go through, go through all of church history. Look at all these guys. Um, George Mueller. What an awesome guy. What a thing. Yeah. The mission council rejected his application to go serve. Most of the greatest missionaries in the, in the world history 
weren't approved by the organizations that wanted to send them out. They actually rejected them and they went anyways. Why is that? Men, there's a danger for us to continue that way. Well, you know, we do things here at Calvary Chapel this way, this way, this way. And no, is the Holy Spirit in it? How is he leading, being flexible? And sometimes it's hard to be flexible, but you sit down and go, okay, how is God leading? Is he part of it? And really, that's the warning here as you sit down and you look at this. Is it's hypocrisy, but religious hypocrisy. It's a, a list of rules that isn't God's. It's, it's Christians without Christ, a, a church without Jesus. And that's what had become. And this next section here, uh, I'm in a minority. Uh, and I'm, I'm, this is my opinion on the, the interpretation of these two parables here. Um, when you look at them in verse 18, and this kind of our last warning, is sin within the church. What sin looks like within a church. And this is a minority view. But when you look at other parables, I think you probably will agree with me. When you see this, it says, Then he said, What is a kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew up, and it grew, and it became a large tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. And some would say, oh, well, look at that seed, a little seed, and God can use it to make this huge thing, and the birds even rest in it. But when you look at every parable, number one, birds of the air always represent the works of Satan. So is it different in this one? And a mustard seed, what does a mustard seed grow into? If anything, a bush. Not a big bush, a bush. Sometimes you get a big bush, but not into a redwood tree. So if you have a mustard seed and suddenly it looks like a redwood tree, there's something unnatural and wrong about that. It's just not what it should be to. It shouldn't have birds nesting in it. And so you have this unnaturally large tree from a mustard seed, and you have these birds of the air, which always in, in every other parable you look at, represents the works of Satan nesting in it. And so there's that one. And then we have this next one, which I'm in the mortality again with. And it says, and he said... To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? Is it like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until the leaven, until it was all leavened? Now again, you put leaven in bread. Do you hide it in there? Secretly put it in? Every time in scripture when you see leaven, it represents sin. Jewish culture, everything, leaven's bad, right? And she puts it in three measures of meal. Because I know you guys know exactly what three measures is, so I'm going to just remind you. Three measures of, is 10 gallons. She makes 30 gallons of bread, enough to feed over 100 people. Does that seem like an exorbitant quantity? And nonetheless, have you guys ever needed bread? You hide. You hide some leaven in three gallons of bread. Are you going to be able to make that by yourself? No machine, no KitchenAid. I mean, that's some work. That's unnatural. There's something wrong with that. And even with these two parables, what happens after this? What comes down after this soon? You have the Catholic Church, right? And the Catholic Church, as it comes, and, it, and well, the Catholic Church or the Church, when Rome takes it over, before it's even the Catholic Church, and it now becomes the empire and the Christianity backing it, you now have the huge spread of Christianity and corruption, Every time you see the world being required to be part of it and the church grow huge, you always see corruption. The bigger the church, the more corruption. 
Even to this day, there are horrible things going on in the Catholic Church. Oh, well, it's not just the Catholic Church, huh? There's a Southern Baptist Convention, and you start to see it, and why? Becomes, it becomes desirable. When the Catholic Church became and was, had power, was the greatest nation in all nations, had more power than everything, it was the most corrupt. Why? They, that's where men are going to go. That's where you power. If I had to put on a face, it goes. There's birds nesting in the trees. You know, and you have this unnatural growth. And so you have a warning against having church, having religion without God, and then having God, but allowing loving in, allowing that sin in. And many times you start to see it these days. You see how many churches are accepting the ways, the plans, the, the works, the schemes of men to get people into the church. It's okay if we do whatever, as long as they come in here, because then maybe they'll hear the gospel. We're going to get them in here, we'll do a show, we'll have them excited, you know, put on entertainment. We'll go, how about we take over a little town? We're going to go to this town, and we're going to go to every door and ask people, believers or not, what they would like to see in a church. What do you think happens when you go to every door and ask that? If you ask a whole bunch of believers, what would you, if you went to church, what would you like to hear, what would you like to not hear? Well, I like to hear Jesus loves me, but I don't like to hear about sin and Satan. So guess what they did? They came back with services where we don't talk about sin, Satan, or anything bad, but Jesus loves you. Big, mega church. Starts with a W, ends with a creek. That's what they did. That's how they planted that church. Come in, do a survey. It's kind of interesting, this, this um, bless every house thing, cool little app and stuff. We have it nothing compared to some. Ooh, do you know the Mormons have the whole town mapped out with dates and when they're hitting where and how they're hitting and, and a full app on how to follow up and everything else? Same with the Jehovah's Witnesses. They have an exact plan of how they're going to reach and pray, meet everybody in Mantique and go. they got a business model that works great. I know roofing companies that have that same business model. They know right now what type of roof you had on, when the permit was pulled, and everything else. Only unless you did it illegally, they know you have a shake roof, they're going to send you a miller. Because they re-roof houses, if you've got a shake roof, it's old. They know exactly when those things are. They budget that way. Businesses do it everywhere. Me, I get ads from the scooter store. So, they know something I don't yet, obviously. So, anyways, but you look at those things and you see it, and you see how... These warnings go, and they should be real warnings to us. Number one, repent. Repent. Don't just stop doing a sin in your life because you feel bad. You go, you know what? I agree with the Bible on this one. You win. I'll stop doing it because something bad's going to happen. No. Be serious about sin. Revile your sin. Realize what it cost. As we take communion, you realize that Jesus was willing to come lay his life down for us. It was not cheap. Don't make a mockery of what he did. The most precious, most awesome sacrifice, the most greatest ever act of love he's ever shown us. Don't take that lightly. Don't take that lightly. And that's why we take communion. That's the only thing he wanted us to remember. Hey, remember this loving thing I did for you. Remember you have victory over sin. Be fruitful. And if you're not fruitful and you're sitting there going, I don't, I don't know if I have any fruit of God working in my life. Not to say you, you know, have a list of people that have accepted Christ because you shared with them in that sense. But there should be fruit. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's right there. Keep going. And above all, yeah, love. There's going to be fruit. If you've come in contact with Jesus, there's going to leave marks. I've used this example before. If I came in and said, yeah, this morning I was out in front of the church. I got hit by a semi coming down Yosemite there. You guys would go, you're not limping and you're standing here. Yep. No, I don't believe you. The God of all creation has an impact on your life. It's going to leave a mark. There's going to be a change. You know, um, and he does. And it, it can be immediate, man. I, I look for it. I had this one young gentleman that's in the front of my truck who was being a pain. And um, I had given the option to go back to his mom's house. And so we're driving. And I'm talking to him. And he's been on drugs and stuff. And he goes, yeah, this and this. And he goes, well, I want to, you know. I was just like, you got to be done with that stuff. Well, I want to. I just don't have the power to do it. And this. You're going to have to pray and ask Jesus to change your heart. You're going to have to ask him to come into your life to change your heart, to have a desire to be done with that stuff. And I'm counting on dropping him off at his mom because I'm so spiritual. I'm done with this guy. I just want him out of my house. And so I'm praying. And, and he sits there and he goes, really, I just got to pray and ask God to change my heart? Said, yeah. And he does it. Darn it. Praise us. Dear God, save me. God, change my heart. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. Now I got to take this guy home at least, but I'm waiting for fruit. I'm waiting for fruit. Getting home. He's not even there five minutes. He confesses a sin he did the night before. I'm sorry. I blew it. I Oh, there's fruit. I can't kick this poor guy out. I love you, Zach. <laughs> but it's awesome. There's fruit. And I love the fact there was fruit. Because sometimes there isn't any fruit. It takes months to even see a little green leaf to start to go and go, wow, maybe God's faithful, man. And it takes a lot longer. Zach was ready. He wanted the Lord. Just about as much as the Lord wanted him. Even though he's stubborn still. Um, no. But anyways, God's awesome, so there's going to be fruit in your life. If there isn't fruit in your life, pray. I'd love to pray with you and talk, get in the Word. The two greatest things to do that, be plugged in the Word of God. If you're rooted, if you're in the fertilizer, you're growing in the Word of God, you're going to grow. It happens naturally. Don't be a Christian without Christ. Stay away from churches that don't have Christ in them. One thing, or allowing sin. If you're in somewhere and you go to a fellowship or something, they're fine with sin, don't be hanging out there. It's dangerous. You know what happens with sin? Leaven. It leavens most of the loaf. No, it leavens it all. You run, hang around people and they're involved in sin. Guess what generally ends up happening? You like to join them. We have a sin nature. It's easy to fall into sin. Stay away from those things. Stay away from those dangers. It's a warning. There's a warning sign. These things are dangerous. Warning signs are there for a reason. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for warnings, Father. That you are willing to take the time to warn us about the things that are dangerous, that can take us out. But that you've given us everything to overcome them, God. To be in your presence. To be just blessed by you, Father. That we can have fruit that we can have your spirit, we can be full of your Holy Spirit, that this old man can pass away and we can be new creations in you. I thank you just for the work you've done um, in my life, Father, in those who we get to serve with here. Just the, the fruit, we praise you for the fruit this morning in so many lives.
and how you work and you, how, you, how you just change, God. We pray you just produce and grow in us more fruit, Father. Loosen the soil, fertilize us, do whatever is needed that we would grow in you, that we would be able just to glorify in the harvest, that you would find fruit when you return, that you would be joyful, Father, with, with what you've done in your work. In Jesus' name, amen.